Hello, and welcome to the Connection Podcast with Connect Global. This is a segment we're calling Global Neighborhood, a conversation with our friends and partners in order to share a global perspective of what's going on in our communities, our nation, and around the world. Hey guys, welcome back to another session of the Global Neighborhood. My name is Travis Moffitt. I'm one of the co-founders here at Connect Global. And today we're so excited for this conversation. Uh, I'm joined uh, today by another one of our co-founders, Javier Mendoza, who's coming to us from the great nation of Honduras. And then we have a very special guest today, Dr. Fred Toke, who is coming to us from the nation of Singapore. Let me give you guys a little bit of information here. Dr. Fred Toke, psychology doctor, is the chief operating officer of the People for Care and Learning, which is a humanitarian organization devoted to breaking the cycle of poverty. Uh, He's based, uh, I guess, in two locations, really, based both in Singapore and in Mobile, Alabama. Mobile is also the headquarters for uh, the organization of the People for Care and Learning. He's a psychologist by training. He is a much sought after speaker and has trained leaders in multinational corporations such as Apple Computer, Ernst Young, Singapore Airlines, and many, many other organizations. He's a former adjunct professor at the Nanyang Technological University and the University of Malaysia Faculty of Medicine. Dr. Toke as well is a TEDx speaker. So Dr. Toke, welcome to the Global Neighborhood. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Uh, Now, I know you're coming to us from Singapore. Uh, Just given kind of the context of what's going on in the world, uh, as we are at the time of this recording, as we're still kind of in the throes of working to prevent the spread of COVID-19, give us a little bit of an idea, a sense of of what's going on there in Singapore as it relates specifically to COVID-19. How are you guys doing? Well, Singapore's um, has um, kind of got COVID-19 pretty un- pretty much very under control because we are a small country and so very little boundaries with neighbors and so we can control the people coming in and out. So the cases that we have got are mostly imported as in people coming in from overseas with, the, with this uh, virus and then a very little community spreading. So at this point of time, even though we are about 800 cases, um, the government has not called for a lockdown or stay home quarantine and things like that. So we're still able to go out. We can still do our marketing. We can still go to the park and uh, go shopping and eat out in the restaurant. So life seems normal here. Unlike um, our neighbors like Good. Malaysia and Indonesia, they are they are now experiencing lockdowns. Their their borders are closed and. They are perhaps um, they are not as well equipped, I guess, as um, um, Singapore or some of the first world countries. Give us a little bit of, of geographical context, okay? I'm just gonna. Uh, my Asian geography is not that great, um, so <laughs> just assuming that may be the case for some of our listeners or viewers. Maybe everybody's much smarter than I am, but. Give us some geographical context as to where Singapore is located in Asia. You're right next to Malaysia, right? Am I understanding this correctly? Right, right. Okay, I look Chinese, but I'm Singaporean, so I'm not from China. Don't worry about me spreading. (laughs) (laughs) 
my ancestors are from China, though. Um, okay. Singapore is right in the heart of these Southeast Asian uh, uh, countries. We are smack in between two uh, large Islamic countries, uh, Malaysia and Indonesia. And um, these are, this area is the most populous um, Muslim area in the world. So yeah. Singapore is a, is a secular, secular country and um, very much like New York, very business-like. People uh, do their business and all that. So religion is, is not so much as uh, important as uh, our neighboring countries. Singapore is right smack in between two largest uh, Muslim countries in the world. And out of Singapore, within two hours of flight time, you can visit about maybe 12 countries. Wow. Yeah. You're very close, like you were saying, to Malaysia, kind of the bottom tip of the, the peninsula there that's Malaysia. And then right. south, really directly south, southwest, and especially south, I'm sorry, southwest, south, yeah. southeast of you is the whole sort of chain of islands of Indonesia. Is this right? Right. Right, that's where we are. So it takes us maybe less than an hour and a half to fly to Jakarta and uh, maybe 30 minutes flight to Kuala Lumpur. An hour and a half and to a, Bangkok. Yeah. Wow. And as a part of your work and just as a, as a teacher and as a speaker and as a psychologist and with your work with the People for Care and Learning, you've had opportunity to visit a lot of these neighboring nations. So you've traveled quite a bit throughout Southeast Asia, is this right? Right, I think I've been to most of Asian countries and to teach and to do training with leaders and, and things like that. So I'm pretty much well traveled. And uh, with this lockdown to all the closure of uh, uh, borders and country, it well, forced me to stay put now in Singapore. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You were telling me something before in a previous conversation about Singapore I thought was very interesting. The entire nation is one city. Yeah, it's, a, this, right? it's the city of yeah. Singapore, the country of Singapore, yeah. it's all synonymous. Yeah, so every time we fill in some application form of some kind, they ask which is the city that you live in, Singapore, the country that you live in, Singapore. <laughs> That's interesting. Now, tell us a little bit about uh, the the Center for the uh, the Center for People of Care and Learning. So you're the, the operations officer, chief op operations officer for this organization. What is it that you guys do? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, I mean, objective is to break cycles of poverty around the world. And um, so I'm in charge of uh, running all our operations. We have a couple of operations in Southeast Asia, like in Myanmar, Laos, uh, and mostly in Cambodia. And then we have operations also in uh, Bethlehem, in Jerusalem, in Israel too. So we use this as a uh, front um, to spread the gospel to close countries in Asia, especially. Uh, they would they would close um, missionaries from coming to the countries to spread. You know, uh, to them is an ideology, a Western religion. And so uh, they would welcome uh, organizations such as ours to help the people. And so um, PCL, People for Care and Learning, is an organization organization that has that front. It's been accepted by countries that were, were close to the gospel. And from there, we work covertly, you know, in raising, uh, sharing the gospel and preaching the word and, uh, you know, disciple um, new Christians in those countries. 
that's awesome. That's a that's a a, a different context, I think, than what we're used to at Connect Global. You know, Javier, uh, there in Honduras, um, it, it's a little bit different setting because the nation of Honduras, by and large, is pretty open to to the gospel and and Christianity. Javier, you can probably speak a little bit to the ways that we've been received in schools or hospitals and things like that, where we don't have to be quite as covert. Yeah, definitely. I know that we have always recognized the difference and recognized the need for both, uh, you know, segments uh, to both build the kingdom in open countries still, because there's still lots of infrastructure here that needs development. There's still people here who uh, even a few short hours from here uh, still have not yet heard the gospel, haven't been able to, to go to a church, haven't had a Bible in their language. Um, I could drive there in about six hours today, uh, still within Honduras, within the, the culture of a country which has been reached or would we say evangelized for maybe, you know, a few decades. Um, there's still places within this country that are that people would be considered an unreached people group. People have not yet translated their, their language, uh, you know, so there's not very much communication back and forth. Um, we've talked about sending a small team there that could go and live for two weeks or three weeks at a time. Um, but the majority of our work here is definitely within the structure that is very open and welcoming to Christians. Uh, they would allow us to come and speak to uh, schools, both private and some public schools uh, would have no problem with us coming in and giving a presentation. Uh, we have worked very closely with the first responders here, uh, both the fire department and the police department of the city and at the national level. Um, and they've been very welcoming. We've gone in several times and uh, have basically preached a sermon or prayed with the men and women there uh, just as they're changing ships. So they'll invite us into their sort of squad meetings uh, and allow us to address each of their men and women as they're coming onto the shift for the first time uh, that week. Uh, and so we're able to see row call and we're able to, to visit with them during times of recreation and times of um, you know, just seeing through the different things that the nation has gone through. Uh, we've been a part of that. So we go in with the chaplain or we'll go in uh, even just sometimes with ourselves, our teams, and uh, literally just preach and pray. And, and there's no issue with that. And so we've really, we see that as a blessing, uh, but a huge responsibility. We see that as a, a, an enormous responsibility and we feel accountable to those who've gone before us, who've made it that way, who have created that openness for us. Uh, and then, of course, honor those who continue to go into places to create that openness and to create that uh, that connection as well. Still, wow. it might be of interest for you to know that the, the only country in all of Asia that is open to the gospel uh, would be the Philippines. Wow. Um, every other country is uh, either Hindus, Muslims, uh, Buddhists, Taoists, and all that. And so uh, the only country in, in Asia uh, that's open to Christianity is uh, Philippines. For instance, the people that we are reaching out to in Cambodia, um, they are all first generation Christians. There are only less than 2% Christians in Cambodia. So wow. the people that we are reaching out to are never heard of Jesus, never heard of Jesus before, you know, um, never heard about the gospel. Uh, all they knew was uh, that what their parents and their ancestors were praying to the, the gods that they were 
they born the religion that they were born with. So it's a whole uh, change of mindsets in in such countries where you know they have never the 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 countries were not open to the gospel. They were not introduced to it. So by doing the work of PCL, they saw the love of God, the love of Jesus, and that's where we are able to you know share with them why we are there, you know, and and how they can also you know receive that blessings and salvation and and the good news of God. You know, I appreciate you bringing that up, Dr. Tok and uh, Javier, also about um, specifically the Tolopan people there in Honduras and Dr. Tok, the, the peoples that you're talking about in Cambodia, because um, I, I think speaking, you know, living here in the United States, um, I think by and large, most people specifically to the U.S., and this may be true of, of other parts of just kind of the Western world, in general, especially in what we would define traditionally as a Christian nation here in the United States. I think we take it for granted sometimes that Christianity and that the gospel is so prevalent here. You know, I mean, really, comparatively to much of the rest of the world, it's very easy in the United States to be exposed to the gospel. You know, the church that I attend is, is, you know, I could walk there from my house. It's a long walk, but, but I could walk there. But there are places in Honduras, and there are certainly places like you're describing in Cambodia uh, and, and many other parts, as you've described, Dr. Token, in, in, in the Asian world, where there's just the people do not have access to even hear about the gospel. And I think for, like I said, the larger majority of of Folks in the United States, I don't think we conceptualize that very well because we just think, well, if you want to know about Jesus, you just go to church or you can just turn on the television and, you know, you're going to get a bunch of preachers, you know. Um, but you've spent time in both places. You're from Singapore. You've spent a lot of time. You and I originally met right here in Tampa, Florida, and then we visited there in, in uh, kind of your second home in Mobile, Alabama. What have you right. seen as the comparison differences of the mindset of of having access to the gospel versus being in a place where you don't have access to the gospel. What do you? What are some of the differences that you see there? From the Asian perspective, they often see um, Christianity as a Western religion, and because the West are seen as more advanced countries, mm -hmm. and so um, sometimes. Um, the Asians, the, the less uh, developed countries, they would think that Christianity would bring wealth, prosperity, blood to the West. And uh, when you don't have that, they yearn for it so much so that um, the point of uh, some became more Westernized rather than Christianized from, from the context of Asian, because they want to have what you guys have. And and in order for for them to get what you guys have, maybe it's your it, it maybe it's through your belief, through your um, ideological beliefs, and and your your religion and all that. So young people are more Westernized than Christianized in that sense. Um, so in in America, I think once once you have an overload of good things, you don't learn to appreciate it. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, every that's the truth right there. I'm going to say that again because there was a little digital breakup. He said, sometimes in America, when you have an overload of good things, you don't appreciate it. I mean, every corner in the street, you find a church with a steeple right. and all that. Right. And um, every corner in Bangkok, you see a temple. It's yeah. different, you know. And people are hungry because their, their life is uh, is not as well as uh, developed as the Western world is, but they are catching up. Um, but when I'm in America, everything, all the good stuff, and and sometimes we fail to appreciate those things. Yeah. Whereas in, in in Asia, they're so hungry for this, and and when they um, learn about Jesus, the hunger in wanting to uh, learn, study the Bible. And, and when you give them the Bible, it, it was like, wow, this is gold. This is worth a million dollars to them. In China, when we brought the Bibles, they were grabbing the Bibles and they were crying over it. Over it. They were kissing the Bible. And they just, <laughs> wow. But not in the West anymore. <laughs> I don't see that. Not in the West anymore. Well, pray the Lord give us a love for, for the Bible and appreciation, appreciation for His Word. Javier and I had opportunity to travel to Thailand. It's been several years ago now, but I remember seeing that, that there was um, um, uh, Buddhist temples of all shapes and sizes. You know, I guess like here in the United States, you have some Christian churches, buildings that are that are larger, you have some that are smaller, kind of the neighborhood church, and you have sort of the large sort of, uh, you know, big city hub kind of church. And um, I remember the home we were staying in, I went for a walk one day down a dirt, road and there was a right over there to the side there was a, a small very small very modest buddhist temple and then we also went on another day to a much larger buddhist temple that they had tourists going through and, and taking tours and things like that so there was just a it was just a variety but you're right it was an it was a very different concept to to be in a place where you don't see a presentation of the gospel at all Whereas here in the United States, it's so prevalent. And like you said, I think sometimes we see that presentation of the gospel displayed so much that we take it for granted. And uh, we start giving up that love for the word of God and love for, for our faith at, at times, which is unfortunate. On the edits, Javier, that's where you put the mic drop in. <laughs> Dr. Toke says, we don't appreciate it, man. Yeah. Hey, let, me you, let me ask you a question here, uh, Dr. Toke, because one of the things I really wanted to discuss with you, given your professional training as a psychologist, um, is, is in large parts of the world, a lot of people are facing various degrees of, of quarantine or social distancing. So in the United States, for example, uh, we are now going into our third week, I guess, of, of social distancing. So we've been restricted. Um, from gathering in groups of 10 or more, pretty much all over the United States. Uh, we're being requested and encouraged to just stay at home. All of our restaurants have closed for uh, inside dining or outside dining. You can certainly go and uh, we can still order food, you know, from a restaurant and pick it up. We can still go through a drive-through. We can still go to the grocery store. Now, Javier in Honduras, they have a very different scenario. You kind of talked about it briefly, but Help us understand a little bit of those parameters there in Honduras, Javier. 
Yeah, so basically they've gone, uh, I think initially uh, they went uh, very quick and very fast with an immediate sort of just let's all slow down and even just stop some of the uh, entries and exits from the country. Um, they started that maybe two to four days before uh, even I saw some reports in the United States. So uh, Honduras seemed to be on the front end of that. I think they were able to see globally uh, what had started happening uh, and then immediately took some action. Uh, and so we immediately saw some shifts of, you know, limiting access to even just the islands, the neighboring islands within the context of, of our nation. Um, so that was a slowdown. Then they closed off all the bordering countries uh, entering and exiting. Um, and since then, it's been sort of a, a increase of that. And so all the way until this last uh, Monday, they initiated a new stay at home order uh, in which the grocery stores and gasoline stations and banks are only open three days a week. So if uh, you can only go out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and they went so far as to limit which day you could go out based on the numerical digit of your passport. So the last digit of your passport then determined on which of those three days this week you could go out. Uh, and then they were also very much limiting who can go out. Uh, so they were first trying to limit it to just one person, the driver going out. I think they've kind of relaxed that as long as it's your immediate family sort of in the car. Um, so they've looked at different varying ways to sort of limit uh, movements. Um, our city kind of is on the northern coast of our country uh, and there's one road in and one road out, one main highway that goes through our city. And very quickly, they also just shut down both ends of that to public transportation and to just the public, the general public moving back and forth. And we're limiting it to just supply lines. So just trucks that were bringing in food, groceries and gas, uh, that was it. And so they they seem to have put a pretty good stop on it. Our city and most of our state uh, here in, in where we live uh, has really limited the spread uh, probably as well as I've seen in most of the reports globally, it looks like. Um, but it's, I think, everyone sticking to the stay at home. Um, it's everyone that's taking advantage of that. And I think, you know, there are some uh, hardships here within the healthcare system uh, of this nation, of course, um, and especially within uh, the context of being able to um, take on a virus this big or, or complications uh, that would arise from that. Um, I think the healthcare system would just, it's not as advanced as some other nations and not able to, to handle that, that workload. Um, and so I think that knowledge uh, being pretty public, most people do not want to get sick. And so I think people have really taken it seriously. They've been taking it, um, you know, let's mandate everything, let's put gloves on, let's wear masks, even before they were told just to stay home. Um, and so I think people really just recognize how severe it seemed globally, and they knew that our healthcare system would not necessarily warrant that type of outbreak uh, that we've seen in other nations. And so for all accounts, by my own opinion, I feel like there has been some good that has come from the very extreme social distancing and even stay-at-home orders here. Now, so Honduras is in a much more stricter quarantine. I mean, they've officially used the, the terminology of a quarantine there. And then Dr. Chuck, you were describing in Singapore, at this point, there's not 
there's not restricted movement. Um, and then a, a report that came out, I guess it was the last week that really struck me uh, when, I, when I heard this, if I understood it correctly, the nation of India uh, had gone on a mandatory, like all nation 21 day full quarantine where people were not even able to leave their house to go to the store. And they were saying the government would ensure the delivery of, of, of essential items. So in the nation of India, you're talking about 1.2, 1.3 billion people. Um, you know, that's more than 10% of the population of the entire planet. I mean, that's a huge percentage of, of the people of the whole planet. So we have huge population in India on like this max quarantine. You've got Honduras, a relatively small nation, about 9 million people on a pretty strict quarantine. You've got the United States, 375 million people or so on a medium level. But now we're stretching into weeks of this. So I wanted to ask you, what starts to happen in a person's soul? What starts to happen in, in, the, in the human psyche when they're quarantined for a while? I mean, what, what begins to, to go on in the mind and the emotions and the will and the things like that when a person is restricted from access to other people? I can think of three groups of people who may be affected psychologically. Uh, number one are the extroverts. Uh, they, will, they will suffer. <laughs> I'm suffering. <laughs> <laughs> graphic for that yeah I mean, i'm suffering graphic the struggle is real here with with the quarantine hashtag i am suffering <laughs> yeah yeah exactly let me hear the all the extroverts <laughs> <laughs> the introverts will do better in such a situation they don't mind staying at home they don't mind being confined they, they don't mind you know reading a book and not doing anything just lazing around but the extrovert will have a, a, a problem uh, with this, so they may um, uh, have symptoms of aggression and all that because of the frustration that they just could not, you know, uh, get the needs, their needs met. But the second group of people are those uh, who are, may not be extroverted, but they are often wanting to be in control of their own lives. Because essentially, uh, being quarantined means you are no longer in control of yourself. You are no longer in control of what you have, can eat or where you can go. And, and uh, so it's almost like they almost feel that they're imprisoned in that sense. And this this um, group of people will usually, um, after a while, they feel that they just need to take some measure of control within themselves so they would be willing to take risks to get out and do something about their life do something about them, uh, for themselves so it's very um, um, controlling uh, kind of people because they just want control for their own lives they, they want to be in control of what's going on because when you're on lockdown when you're home in quarantine uh, you're just being uh, not you will not do very well the third group of people are the, the, um, those with physical ailments. Um, they, they probably will not do well in home quarantine because they, probably, they, they do need to go to the clinic and the hospitals and all that. And then there's fear of going to the hospitals that you might even, um, just for your regular checkup, you might contract um, COVID-19 because it's so prevalent and the hospital is just right now, no, no place to go to. And so, um, Sickness is an, um, 
but before ill is we normally have these symptoms of anxiety as well over the illness now then you have add a layer of anxiety i have to go to see the doctors at the clinic there are others who are coughing and so it can you know cause a person to feel that uh, to become annoying as it is so um just these three groups these three groups of people would uh, probably suffer more than others. That's interesting. Let's let's talk about these three groups for for just a moment. Um, so, as I said, I relate to the extrovert group. Um, I uh, we we premiered a, a one of these talks yesterday, and somebody mentioned on there they missed all the the hugs and the high fives, and I'm like, yep, that's me. You know, I'm missing all the hugs and the and the high fives. And my wife's like, I'm not high fiving you 27 times again today. You know, that's it. Um, <laughs> so what for for the extroverts, for us extroverts, um, what do we do? You know, what what can you, how can you still, like you said, it's it can be frustrating. You feel like you're not getting your needs met. You know, as an extrovert, I, I know that I have that need or that desire to just be around people, to have conversations, to, to you know, one of the things for me is I've always enjoyed going to the store, going to Starbucks and just running into a friend that turns into a conversation, sitting down, you know, chatting about whatever, it doesn't really matter uh, for me. So what, what can the extroverts do to sort of make it through quarantine um, healthy in a healthy way? I mean, you don't want to express aggression and be all, you know, ornery and difficult with all the people in our life. So how do we, how do we deal with that? I think all three uh, groups of people have to have their mindset shift in a sense. Uh, for the extroverted people, um, they have to change their mindset about being locked in and being isolated because um, um, home quarantine, social distancing is not social isolation. See, to the extrovert, they go to the extreme. Social distancing means I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to be all by myself. This is too terrifying. I, I don't think I can make it. Because social distancing for them means social isolation. So that, that you know, causes anxiety. That causes a reaction to us. Then, you know, as we are right now, what we are doing, we are, we are connecting through. Uh, so this media, this app called Zoom, uh, we're still able to connect in a sense, but maybe not physically, but we are not isolated to the point where we are in solitary confinement. That's, that's a different thing altogether. So we are not confined to a solitary jail or cell, but to the extrovert, that, that is the problem. Now I'm going to confine to the cell all by myself and all that. So the mind goes from the extreme to the other extreme that causes them to feel panicky and then re those reactions that they, I just got to get out and, and get get to breathe and all that. So I have the mindset shift from social distancing. Uh, social distancing doesn't mean social, social isolation. You still can socialize. Yeah. You still can connect with your parents, your children, your friends. You know, what I did for uh, the people in Asia that have been um, they're having this um, uh, they call it movement control order. That means they cannot simply move around. So, uh, so from uh, at ten o'clock every morning, I do a Bible study. So there were about seventy people locked in because they were all staying at home doing nothing. Right. 
So I have every morning, <laughs> 10 o'clock lock-in. Okay, let's have an hour Bible study with me. And then after that, we can have half an hour of chat and all that. So uh, they feel so good that they can, yeah, you know, they meet people from other countries like the Malaysians will come in together with the Chinese from China and from the Burmese and the Cambodians. We all come together and they all able to mix in that. So they feel good about it. So, you know, my um, whole idea is, hey, you have been so asked to be socially distant, but that doesn't mean that you are going to be socially isolated. So in this moment, when everybody from all the in all the countries of Asia coming together at ten o'clock every morning, we pray together, we talk, and we, we read the Bible, the Scripture. It's, we are socializing. That's not that bad, Travis. Yeah. Not that bad. <laughs> really good. It's not that bad. I would say that is definitely uh, any form of coming together. I think is what I have used to focus on. Um, whether it be through, like you said, the media like this, through just work calls and, and still feeling like, hey, we still have our work to do. We still have things that we're accomplishing. Uh, and so feeling like you're ticking those boxes and still continuing to, to get up. And, I, you know, you see the funny things about now people are all working from home and schooling from home and all that kind of stuff. But it's a reality that you have to feel like you're actually going to work today. You have to actually go through the motions and put clean clothes on and you know do the whole I'm actually going to engage today uh, and then on the social aspects uh, my wife and I we're kind of on two ends of the spectrum I guess of extrovert and introvert um, of course on that sliding movement scale moving scale but we have a group of friends who the other day we were kind of in a group chat texting and saying well who of us are the extroverts who are the introverts trying to guess and trying to gauge and it was pretty surprising because of course we see each other in a very, you know, in-person context most of the time. Right now, of course, uh, because of our move and because of just the social distancing, we haven't been able to engage in our normal, uh, you know, outlets. And so on a Zoom call that we organized, we all came together and we could say, hey, this is why I'm actually not an introvert because of me needing things like this. Or this is why another friend said, hey, I am an introvert, you just see the extroverted side of me, but I go home and crash every time we have a get together because I can't handle that many, you know, conversations and different things. So it's interesting to see how people react differently and like, you know, you're very, very accurately pointing out, this is not isolation. This doesn't have to be isolation uh, for 99% of us uh, because that is a totally different thing altogether. So we want to be careful and differentiate between those two extremes. Uh, it's easier sometimes to even ingest or try and jokingly say, oh, well, I can't believe this, I'm on lockdown or I'm on, you know, uh, quarantine or I'm this and that, whatever, when really it's not that bad. Just like you said, it's not that bad, Travis. So to me, I think that's what we have to remind ourselves and tell each other as we're still connecting, because I think that's the huge part of it, is being intentional right now to connect being intentional to organize video chats with your family, being uh, intentional to organize meetings or different face-to-face, -face, you know, at least through uh, different multimedia, those times because I think in, in just recent weeks, it, it may for some of us not have been that important to pick up the phone and call our parents or pick up the phone and call our, our friends or, or something like that. And now it's ever so much more important to keep those human connections because I love how you differentiate between the distancing and isolation. 
many people can can choose isolation and they do on a daily basis um, even in the, uh, the midst of a full room uh, you know there are people that battle with different things that that they pull away from society anyway and so all of us who can should push towards those people and push towards our friends and our family and even those uh, you know who may be a little bit more further away and further out from our our you know local friendships we should reach towards them and push towards them right now because we don't want them to push themselves into that isolation feeling. Yeah, I was just going to ask that next. I think I appreciate you bringing that up, Javier, is, is how can we help our extroverted friends if you're an introvert or an extrovert? You know, and I think that's such a good point. Um, I know for myself personally, I've never been much on the phone or, or uh, even text or that sort of deal. I've always just enjoyed the in-person interaction and, you know, still love all of my friends, even if I haven't called you in a long time. But since all of this is going on, I've thought, you know, it's really been more important to try to make the phone call or make the text or make the WhatsApp message or whatever. And I'm finding as an extrovert, new uh, connection points in those relationships and getting to know people in, in a different way. Um, so we've seen the joking meme that says, you know, check on your extroverted friends. That's a good idea. You need to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let, let's talk about the control personality for a minute. Um, Cause I thought that was very interesting that, that you brought that up. I remember seeing an article maybe two weeks ago when uh, here in Florida, you know, the big deal in Florida is everybody goes to the beach, right? So here in Florida, they closed Clearwater beach, which is close to where we live here in the Tampa Bay area. And that's a very well-known beach. And when they closed the beach, like still that first weekend, and I think even the next weekend, people were still going out to the beach. And um, one of the, the writer of the article was saying to some degree, that's people just trying to express their control of their own life. Man. Well, regardless of what the government says, I'm gonna do this anyway. So talk about that for a little bit, Dr. Toke. What, what, how does the, the person who still needs to maintain some sense of control in their life how can they do that in this time when, like you said, so many things seem out of control? Um, firstly, you know, just like the, the um, extroverted people, they need to know that social distancing is not social isolation. So those people as a need to control in their life, being stuck at home is not, is, is not imprisoning yourself, it's not taking away your control, but you're not stuck, but you're safe at home. So change the mindset from being stuck that I'm not in control, but actually you are being safe at home. Sure. Your health matters and and you 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 have less chances of contracting the disease or the virus when you're staying at home. So this is one way you can control yourself from, from being infected. So you can control yourself that in that way. And you can also control the spreading of this virus by not and going out so you can you know in some sense in your mind you shift from being stuck to be to be safe so i'm not stuck at home but i am safe at home okay i am not being forbidden to go to the beach i am being told to put on some um, precautionary measures so that i can be safe i can remain healthy i can still stay alive 
So changing the mindset here is very important. It's a key. Changing mindset is key to adaptability. Blessed are those who are adaptable, for they will not be bent out of shape. You know, someone just someone said that. <laughs> so it's just adapting to the situation. So, right. And just to put in perspective, if a person is is in need of control and is getting you know frustrating and all, frustrated and all that, and you're just into three weeks of this, just put it into perspective. Our friends in China, they're the third month of lockdown. They were third month of staying at home. For the last ninety days, they've been at home, and it's like every week I would conduct like a Bible study with my Chinese pastors over there. So we come with, uh, on Friday to come and pray together, and you know this way we encourage them. But they stay at home for the last three months. So two weeks compared to that three months, that's nothing. Right. So not bad. <laughs> Perspective helps in a lot of different ways. I think that does help a lot. Perspective and framing expectations.、Um, you know, talking about the timeline is very interesting because in several of the conversations I've been a part of, I hear this terminology come up, and and I think it, it it's to some degree maybe even subconscious, but it's at least an expectation that people have. I've heard people say, "Well, when things get back to normal, or when things get back to how they were." And I've, in in my own mind, in my own heart, and then even in those in some of those conversations, I've kind of pushed against that a little bit, because when you think about a nation as large as China,、um, I don't know the population, but I know it's well over a billion people there in China who've been in some form of quarantine or movement restriction for three months. That has Uh, I believe that that has implications in just lifestyle and livelihood and business models and organizational models that will have, if not permanent ramifications, at least very long-lasting ramifications, like for years to come. And so I think that it's important for us as people to be careful that we don't set the expectation that. Well, in two more weeks, everything will just be back how it was, you know, at Christmas. I think in reality, we're—I don't think we'll always be in quarantine or we'll always be in this sort of lockdown setting. But I don't think we're moving back to how it was. I think we're moving into sort of a new, different paradigm of really the world because this is such a unique dynamic that this one. Uh, uh, virus has affected nations around the entire world at such a broad scale,、um, and so I think you you said it very well, Dr. Tok, that it's important of of framing our mindset such that we're moving into not a new horrible, but a new just a new paradigm of of how our lives will be. Talk, talk about that third group for just a little bit because there are. People like there's people in my life personally who they do need to go to the doctor. You know they need to get、um, to、uh, to their medical physician. I have a family member who just a few days ago suffered、uh, a stroke.、Um, he has he has had several strokes. This one seems to be pretty bad,、um, and it's affected his speech. He was in a nursing home, and so now he's come、uh, back home、uh, into a hospice setting. But I know he'll need. 
uh, he'll need care. He'll, he'll need continuous care and, and have other family members who need to see their doctor. And so there is concern for that. Um, how can those people sort of get through and how can we help them as far as getting through this? We want them to be safe and not have one medical condition now evolve into contracting COVID-19. How can we help them with their, with their medical needs and sort of the anxiety of that uh, through this time? Talk about that for us just a little bit, Dr. Well, the third group of people are uh, the most challenging. I mean, the first two groups of people, they are more, okay, they're healthy, they can do the adjustment, they can adapt to, you know, what's going on. Yeah, I'm not stuck, I'm safe. You know, it's easy for, easier for them. And, uh, but for the third group, I do need to see the doctors. And for less, uh, for instance, someone who may be healthy, but is expecting to deliver a child. So that can also cause some frenzy in the mind and all that. And not just the person who is going to be delivered the baby, but the family members that, you know, uh, may be concerned about going to the hospital and, and stuff like this. Uh, this can create a lot of paranoia and, and, and anxiety. I, I guess um, for this group of people, they just have to face reality that, okay, um, going to the hospital, going to the clinic, you have a higher chance of uh, meeting people with um, COVID-19. So you just have to take a lot of precautionary measure mask up you know and uh, don't don't be embarrassed if you have to take up you know the wipes to wipe the chair before you sit and all just 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 be careful just take precautionary measures and um, don't um, and um, don't add a layer of your, your illness with another layer of um, um, anxiety okay just okay I, there is a chance that the I'll meet people with COVID-19 but then I can take care of myself. I can put on a mask. I, I try to keep myself a distance away from people. And I go in and I get out as quick as I can and things like that. There's, um, there's, there's no way they can, um, they can avoid going to see the doctors. They just have to go but with the mind that I am going to be prepared. I'm going to be ready and, and, and all that. So in, in medical school, there is a symptom among medical students. They call it. Um, um, no, I, I just uh, lost my thoughts here. Um, it's like every time they learn about a new disease, they all feel that oh, I may have that. Yeah. Uh, medical students' symptoms. You know, it's like. From Isn't that called being a hypochondriac? Isn't that the word hypochondriac? <laughs> Yeah, become a bit of that uh, for most medical students because every time you hear about a disease and, uh, and, and the severity of it, they, they will be watchful of their, themselves and all that. Uh, for instance, right now, COVID-19, okay, it starts with a cough, a dry cough and all that. Every time someone coughs or when we cough, it's like, do I have it? Do I have it? <laughs> do we have that? <laughs> you know, if, when we touch our face, oh, oh am I doing this? <laughs> like, right now, you're touching your glasses like this. You know, <laughs> so we become paranoid, and uh, we don't have to be as long as we do right things. We as long as we take precautionary measures, you know. And as Christians, like, we pray that God is in us is greater than He that's in the world. You know, we need to take responsibility for our own life, for our own health, and uh, take precaution, take precautionary measure as much as we can. Um, you know, if they need to go and see their doctors, you know, just go and just be prepared. Get with yourself, mask up and you know, suit up if you want to. 
um, and see the doctors, get your medicine, and then come back home. You know, you don't have to avoid going to see a doctor just because you're afraid of uh, contracting the virus. So there are ways that you can prevent yourself from from doing it. Um, so places like hospital, they are like hotbed for all this virus right now. It's always anxiety for people going there. That's great. That's three fantastic takeaways for the extrovert. Social distancing is not social isolation. That's that's really good. I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that myself. Uh, number two, for for those who need control, I'm not stuck at home, but I'm safe at home, and I'm actually helping other people to be safe uh, by staying at home. And then for those who need to go and see the doctor, have a game plan, be prepared. Don't be embarrassed if you need to, to, to kind of clean your environment, take the wipes with you, use a mask if you can get a hold of a mask. I know everybody's looking for the N95 masks, but um, you know if you're not a medical professional, you just need to get to the doctor. I would think any mask would give some amount of help, maybe gloves, the, the wipes, things like that, so that you're prepared and so that you're not letting that anxiety um, controlled you. I was just looking over as we wrap up here. I was just looking over some of the numbers on this website, Worldometers, and uh, just doing some real quick math in my head. I, I noticed an interesting kind of trend that I just wanted to uh, share with you guys real quick. In the nation of Honduras, we got three nations represented here: the United States, Honduras, Singapore. In the nation of Honduras, there's been 219 total cases, and already three people have recovered from. Uh, COVID-19. So you have three people who've already recovered. So that's just a smidge over 1%. In uh, the nation of Singapore, uh, as of today, and this is April 2nd, they're reporting 751 active cases, 1,000 total cases. Uh, the nation of Singapore has had, according to World of Meters, 245 people have recovered. Uh, so that's that's roughly 25% of the total cases that the people have recovered. And then in the United States, uh, the United States right now has, has had the most cases and currently has the most active cases. Um, in the U.S., we've had 215,357 cases with only 8,800 people, uh, 8,878 is the actual number here, who have uh, recovered which is, you know, I don't even know the math on that. It's way less than even 1%. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's not accurate. That's just over 1% because 8,000 and 215,000 total cases. So a little over 1%. It's just interesting to me that in the nations where there's been the most isolation, we have percentage-wise a lower recovery rate. I'm not advocating that we do away with the quarantines or the social distancing to prevent the spread, but I just wonder if there's merit, uh, since you guys have the least amount of restrictions there in Singapore, you've had the highest rate of recovery, at least of these three nations. I wonder if there's some merit to being connected, staying connected, whether obviously not physically, we wanna prevent the spread. I'm not advocating that we all go run out to the grocery store or we snub our nose at the government and let's just have a big you know powwow of a thousand people but i wonder if maintaining these type of connections through phone calls or through using zoom or social media or whatever and trying to keep those connections as personal as possible if that help in the soul that comfort can also help us physically on the recovery side what do you guys think about that 
yeah, I would concur because uh, we are made to be social uh, beings. We need a connection. And anyone who is uh, isolated, um, um, you know, is is not going to recover well. There's experiments, scientific research, and experiment that was done about uh, recovery from sicknesses. And the patients with no visitors in the hospital would uh, would not, uh, you know, um, the the cure would be long. It takes longer for them to get recovered, as for as per as compared to those patients who have uh, visitors, family visiting them. Their the recovery rate is faster and quicker. The human contact is so important. Yeah, and I think definitely the ubiquity of this virus, uh, I think, would also speak to how connected we really are. Um, and so I think as a as a planet. Uh, people are more connected than I think we even know. Um, and it's not just being connected through the internet or being connected because of trains, planes, and automobiles, but I think we're truly connected because that's who we are. We were created to connect. We were created for relationships. And so I think just even to, to very plainly look at it and see how rapidly this virus has contaminated every corner of the earth, I think speaks to how interwoven and interconnected we are and how much we we should hold that hold as a responsibility um, whether it be as Christians or as doctors or as people who who just have hope or have faith to be able to share that with others I think to me that's my focus is that I want to be an agent of hope and an agent of change I don't want people to isolate and pull away I want to push towards them and so I think that shows us just how closely connected we are. Um, and so how we go back to maybe not a normal, but a new normal uh, would be to increase those positive connections and, and increase those positive interactions with people, um, seek after those who are lost with, with you know, a greater degree of, of urgency than maybe we did before. And some of those relationships that maybe we put on the back burner or just you know, we and our minds had prioritized differently. I hope, my hope is for myself and I hope for others, is that we would reprioritize all of our relationships and even go after more. That's great. That's fantastic. So, guys, we appreciate, I appreciate you, Javier, for being here. I know it's very early for you. Dr. Toke, I appreciate you being here. I know it's very late for you. You know, we're dealing with all of the <laughs> various time changes and things like that. But thank you guys both for taking some time out to be a part of this global neighborhood. And thank you for listening to this. If you're listening to this in a podcast format, or if you're watching this on YouTube or Vimeo or on Facebook, we really appreciate you taking some time out. We hope that these conversations are being beneficial to you and really helping all of us sort of expand our worldview. There's a much bigger world out there than just what's going on in our home. I know especially right now, it seems like our worlds have become very, very small, but that small gives us an opportunity for like Javier was just saying and Dr. Tok as well, that we can form more intimate and more personal connections because truly we are better together. We are made to connect with one another. God formed us and fashioned us right at the beginning. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he's given us one another. We literally can be a gift to one another you are a gift to us we want these conversations to be a gift to you so we appreciate you we know you guys are chatting and commenting on 
on all of the social media around these conversations. And we really appreciate that because we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts and your comments on, uh, on the conversations uh, that we're having right here. So we so appreciate you guys tracking along with us, everything that's going on here at Connect Global. Uh, also I want to encourage you to connect with Dr. Toke. He is on Facebook. Um, you can also find out information for the organization of the People for Care and Learning. Dr. Toke, if people want to connect with you via Facebook or learn more about People for Care and Learning, how, where can they go? What's the website? What's the email address? All that information. How can people connect with you? Well, to learn more about People for Care and Learning, they can go to www.pcl.is. As you said, I'm on Facebook. Just look for me and Fred Toke, E with the thunder. And you can see my face. <laughs> You'll see the Tokimon there. <laughs> yeah, Tokimon. <laughs> That's it. That's awesome. Good. So guys, thanks again for joining us for this conversation. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you. All of our viewers and listeners, we love you guys. We appreciate you guys. We hope you have a great rest of your day. God bless you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for watching. If you'd like to learn more, connect with us at GoServeChange.com.